RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Ryan Duffy on Radio Influence. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's Duffified Live Day. And I don't know what it is lately with these episodes, but I like to sing. I'm having fun singing. Letting that voice go. Letting my letting my, my guard down a little bit. Opening up a little bit to you guys. I like that. I'm happy with that. Everybody, welcome to Duffified Live with little old me, Chef Brian Duffy. And apparently, my dog. My dog, Honey. It was a little pit bull bulldog who has been exceptionally loud this morning. I'm hoping she's going to keep it quiet for a little bit, but I don't think she will. Um, Okay. I want to talk about a couple little things here real quick. Uh, I want to talk about the current state of the world that we're in. Yep. We're going to get pretty heavy here. Uh, I want to talk about how everybody is offended I want to talk about how everybody's pissed off. I want to talk about how it is that we went from a world of discussion and debate into a world of hatred. I had a conversation with somebody the other day who we had started to have a very simple conversation about politics, just talking about the government shutdown. And the person literally put their hand up to me and said, if you're going to say anything about Trump, then this conversation's over because I don't fucking like him. That was how the conversation basically it was about a minute into the conversation And I wasn't going to get political. I was just talking about the current state of what's going on. But this person, before we even got into the meat of the conversation, they stifled me. They pushed me aside and they wanted me to know that no matter what was about to be said, they did not like Donald Trump. I don't give a shit who you are. I don't give a shit what your values are. Well, mate, your values I do. Your, your values I do. I don't give a shit what you think about my opinion because it's my opinion and I'm allowed to have an opinion. Okay. I'm nice to people. I really try very hard. It's a focal point for me during the day to not judge people because I grew up on the East Coast, man. We are judgmental motherfuckers, okay? If we see you wearing a pair of shoes that we don't like, we are probably going to judge you. If I see you walking down the street as a young urban individual who has their pants hanging down below your ass, we would judge you. I got to a point about a year ago, I don't give a shit. I don't care if you want to wear your pants down that low. Look, to me on a personal world, you look like a jackass, but I don't care because that's you. We are all individuals. We're, we're just, we're individual people. We 
live our lives according to what goes on in our brain. And, and we don't all have the same brains. We have different brains and we have different thoughts about things and different opinions. And it's why the world is as big and vast as it is. Because just like that big, vast world, there are different people out there. But we're all still people. We're all the same genetic breakdown. Other than the color of our skin or our eyes or the way that we dress or the way that we think, we're all just the same goddamn person. And, and, I, and I'm so saddened by the fact that everybody's just so angry. And the weirdest part about it is that in the midst of all of that anger, in the midst of all of the, the, the opportunities that we have to discuss things on an educated level, we bypass that and we just find it easier to go into an anger state. And then we have something like what happened in Puerto Rico or which we will never find out the truth about that. The same thing with New Orleans. We'll never find the truth out about that. The same thing that happens after earthquakes and shootings and, and all the other bullshit that goes on. We're never going to find out the honest truth. I'm sorry. I, I hate to break it to you, but our government has their own agenda in a lot of ways. But I am really happy to see that we have a tremendous amount of independence of real people that are starting to step up and say, I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of it. I want to represent the people. And I'm really happy to see that. I had a great conversation with my daughters about this where my daughter was basically, my oldest daughter was given a, 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 a form of propaganda. You know, she was given a very one-sided view of what is happening within our government. And, and I, I wasn't trying to prove her wrong because what she knew was what she had been told. But I did want to open it up a little bit for more discussion. And, and we decided, to, we talked a little bit more about what was going on. And then we got into the fact that during this government shutdown, when we as citizens of the United States are required to go about our daily business, despite the fact that the elected officials that we have put into place are not going about the daily business of what they were hired to do. And that those, however many, uh, whatever it was, like 7,000 employees in D.C. alone who and I don't know if that number is correct or not. I might have just pulled that out of my ass. I have no idea. But out of those thousands of employees in D.C. alone what it is that happened around them with food banks and restaurants and, and, and hospitality individuals who all stepped up to the plate and went out and said, you guys come in and we've got you covered. Philadelphia Airport has a food bank with diapers and formula and food so that you can go in and you can grab some of these necessities to feed your family. So I want everybody to realize that those good things come out of some of this negativity. Rarely does good shit happen out of negativity, okay? I don't want to be that guy who keeps doing this, but think back to September 11th, 2001. Let's bring it back to that moment. Let's bring it back to that one period of time where we were all just human beings who cared about each other. I think that's really cool. I think that's really pretty cool. And I like that. And as my travels across this country and my travels around the world, I, I genuinely find or I find that there are genuine, amazing, genuinely amazing people out there who uh, are tired of talking shit. 
who are tired of of listening to propaganda, who are tired of listening to promises of shit that's just not there. And 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 that's how I feel about that. So with that being said, I want to bring out a pretty real individual, somebody who I I've really liked for a long time, man. You know, it's the it's the the, the the wonders of this show that I get to talk to people that I look up to and that I'm genuinely interested in and get to hear their opinions and share that with you guys. And oddly enough, most of it happens in a hospitality driven world. So. My next guest is a, uh, a very, very dynamic individual, as I always try to find, okay? Um, this is a guy who has been uh, on TV. He's been in the press. He has been pretty much all over. Um, and the gentleman's name is Fabio Viviani. He is a chef, a culinary personality, a restaurateur, a cookbook author, and really a pretty dynamic individual with a very wise brain, with a very wise head on his shoulders that a lot of it comes from work ethic. So everybody do me a favor and uh, you guys know all the rules about how we do this. I'm going to curse. It's going to happen. So if you're going to listen to this in the car with your kids and then you're going to be offended because I used the word fuck, well, it's kind of your fault because I told you ahead of time what we were going to do. So everybody do me a favor. And check out this guy. Welcome to Duffified Live, Fabio Viviani. What's up, buddy? How are you, man? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm uh, I'm actually home for a two day stretch. It's nice. I'm I'm home for a two day stretch too. Can you believe it? <laughs> Where are you heading off to? Um, well, this year we have uh, sixteen new locations opening. Oh uh, under concept God. now. So we have literally 12 different concepts in seven different states, 16 locations, and I'm just bouncing around. So I think next I'm going to be in Florida because we're opening a Spanish concept. Um, then after that will be Delaware, then New York, then yeah, a bunch of shit going on, man. That's awesome. Well, good. Congratulations. It's, it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank well, you. Good. Thank you. Uh, well, so, hey, Fabio, let's let's hop right into it here. Let's just go in. So why don't you do me a favor and tell me who you are and how we can get in contact with you? Fabio Viviani. And in order to get in contact with me, there is two ways. One, through social media. Instagram is very easy. I'm very active on it. And two, through my website, FabioViviani.com. Perfect. So let's uh, let's go let's go back a little. First off, we we've met a couple times, kind of here and there. And then you also yeah. worked. You did some stuff with my brothers. Yes. I, well, I, actually, I, I I met your brothers, That's but right. I didn't end up doing stuff with them. We were trying to figure it out if there was a show to be pitched to YouTube at the time that they were doing a lot of stuff for YouTube, and right. uh, we ended up not doing. Uh, tough for them, but I got the chance to meet the family and then I got the chance to meet you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're good guys, man. They're, uh, I would just spend 10 days with them out in LA from the end of December nice. to the beginning of January. So it was good. Nice. It was real good. So, so where, how, how did, how did all of this come about? I mean, you've, you've been, a, you've been in the industry for a while and yeah. now you're, you're opening up 12 new concepts in seven different States this year. Yeah, uh, so it was, it's, a, it's a long story, we'll make it short. 
I started the culinary journey. Let's call it a journey because it's been a journey. When I was 11, my mom got sick. She had to quit half of the job that she was doing, losing half of the income we had. You know, growing up in a family that live off of food stamp and, and can really meet month end. My mom and dad were very busy walk, uh, working all day, several jobs. And, and I was just like 11 years old kid staying at home, going to school in the morning and play ball in the afternoon. Right. And I, I found myself needing to get a job. So I got a job nighttime job. I got a job from midnight till seven in the morning. I was doing that seven days a week. Oh. I did that for about three and a half years. And the only really days off were the days off like Christmas and, uh, you know, um, whatever, 4th of July, our, our 4th of July, neither. we don't really have 4th of July, but we have similar holiday where everything is shut, shut down and people take a day off. So literally after three and a half years, I was working every night and then going to school in the morning. The owner of the pastry shop said to me, you know, it's pretty impressive the fact that, you know, you're 12, 13, 14 years old and you show up every night and then you just work your ass off and, and you're not even a grown up yet. You're like a teenager. <laughs> what do you want to do for a living? I was like, oh, you know, oh, man, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I just thought I like the money because they were paying well. And I said, I like the money and I like to do this. I want to do this. And he said, well, you know, I, I can use you in my restaurant, but it's a daytime job. You want to do a daytime job? And I was like, well, if you pay me the same, actually, yes. So, so I, can, I can get back to sleep at night, right? And then this guy hired me, and I started to work in the kitchen, dishwasher, prep cook, chopping here, cleaning there. And uh, I was working from one in the mo- from one in the afternoon till two in the morning now. So same twelve, uh, <laughs> same twelve hour, same twelve twelve hour a day. But now I was working daytime, so not not time. I was going to sleep, spend time with the family. I mean. I, I'm waking up in the morning and see them because when I was coming home, they were sleeping already. Right. And, and in the morning, the guy forced me to go to school, to culinary school. He said, I'm not going to give you a job if you keep skipping school. Right. And I was like, all right. So I went to culinary school because that's what he told me to do. And I got a diploma. Now in Italy, if you have a diploma for a culinary institute and culinary art, hotel management school, you get a paper that says that you are able to apply for a, for a liquor license. It's the only way you get a liquor license in Italy. It's not like wow. America, they're limited. Right, right. Yeah. So if, in order to get a liquor license in Italy, you have to either be partner with somebody that has a hotel management school diploma or okay. be the guy that has the diploma. So I had the diploma and the guy and, wanted to open another restaurant. And how old were so, you at this point? How old were you? When I when I was done with school, I was 18 years old. Okay. So, so 18 the, you've the got. Is, yeah. Okay. School in Italy is about four and a half years. I started when I was 14 and a half, 15, and I ended up when I was 18 and some. So at this point, the guy said, wow, now we got a diploma. Let's open another restaurant together. And I was like, what do you mean together? And he was like, yeah, I need you, and I got money. And I was like, okay. So we opened our first restaurant together, and I had my own restaurant when I was 19, and the guy wow. was 35. Yeah. Yeah, I was 15 years older than me, and, and uh, we own a little restaurant, 50 seat, called El Palayo in Florence. Still there, still standing. Wow. And, uh, and after that, together, because once you, once you own one restaurant, you can open more with the same liquor license, even in different locations. Oh, wow. And, and then, you know, we ended up, that I was 27 at this point. We had five restaurants, a dance club, a bed and breakfast. A, a little farmhouse where we grow a bunch of things and had a chicken coop there. Um, and, and the business was doing great. The guy showed up to me one day and said, I got a good news and I got a bad news for you. And I said, what's, what's, what's 
what you know what's going on? I mean, your bad news they're usually whatever. Do we get busier? And your good news they're kind of shitty because you got to make up for the bad news, but it's not really a tremendous good news that we celebrate and chest bump. I was like, what's going on? And the guy's like, no, it's 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 you know it's different. I said, what what's up? And he said, well, I sold the business. That's the bad news. And I'm like, what what? He's like, yeah, I sold the business. And I'm like, what do you mean you sold the business? So yeah, you know, the restaurant, the hotel, farmhouse, package it up, sold it to a German guy that wants to run a bunch of restaurants in the corner. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? What do you mean you sold the business? Wow. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm 45. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to retire. I made a bunch of money. I was like, well, that's, that's great. But what the, what am I going to do? Sure. You're I mean, 27. You tell me? I'm 27. <laughs> You're ready to go. I'm making great money. I'm ready to go. I'm like, could you just hand it to me and I pay you to stay home? Like pretty much you're doing anyway. Right. I mean, if you don't want to work, you got a lot of money. The guy's like, well, but I just got a great offer. And I was like, fuck man. I'm like, what? And he was like, well, look, this is the bad news. He said, as far as Monday, you don't need to come to work. We sold the business. Wow. And I'm like, fuck. And I'm just pissed. At this point I'm pissed. Like walking off, walking away. Right. The guy was like, do you want to hear the good news? I'm like, <laughs> but no, fuck, you know, I was like, fuck you. I want to hear the good news. Thanks for giving me a heads up. I'm out of job since Monday. Starting Monday, right? And I was pissed, man. I was, because I, you know, in Italy, if you guys understand the dynamic of Italy, in Italy, if you're doing extremely well, like you're head of a bank, you're, you're a crook politician, and you, and you make a lot of money, you're making five, six grand a month. Now, we're right. talking about in Italy, talking about the mayor of Florence, Italy, makes seven grand a month. Wow. Like, so it's like the mayor of New York making 70,000 a year. Like, if you're doing, if you're making anywhere between three and five grand in Italy a month, you're crushing it. You got really? a nice home with a backyard. You got a, you got a mortgage that is paying itself. You got a nice car. You got a dog. You got Saturday and Sunday off. You, you got, you, you're living the, in the 5% of Italy because my, to put it in perspective, then I tell you what the good news was. To put it in perspective, my mom and my dad still today, not that they have to work because I retired them, but they want to work. Right. So they both work a 40 hour a week job. My dad is a handyman for a company that does repairs. And, and, he's, and they're 70, 70 years old. No, no. My dad is 60. My mom is 58. Okay. They, okay. they had me when they were very young, right? Okay. So my dad is 60 and he still works as a handyman. My mom is 58 and she still works as a hairdresser. 40 hours a week. Wow. Combine and they make a paycheck, right? So they get a paycheck every 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 month. Right. Combine, combine, they make twenty one thousand dollars a year. Twenty one thousand euros. Wow. Combine. So average the average salary in Italy for a forty time forty forty hour a week is eight hundred bucks a month. Okay. So 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 now the good news. So, and I was making, you know, I was making 15 grand a month with all the restaurants and stuff. I was like, wow. I was at the life, Killing. right? Killing. You know, 50, and, you're, and you're 27 years old and you're Fabio. Right. And and I'm nobody there. I just, I'm just a kid that had, like, had a very good work ethic and, you know, right. and, and I'm killing it because we made some right business. And I'm married to 150,000 a year. It's a good salary, but it's not the best you can get. And, and so the guy said, all right, so here's the good news. And he handed me an envelope. And in the envelope, there was a check for $2.4 million. Oh my God. And I was God. like, I, I had to read it three times. I was like, what is this? And he's like, I told you, idiot. He said, I sold the business. And I'm like, fuck, it's a lot of money, bro. 
<laughs> wow. And and uh, and and they said to me, yeah, and you own a piece of it. And I was like, wow, how much how much do I get out of this? And the guy said, that's yours. That's your ten percent. I sold the business for twenty two million. Oh. And I'm like, what? So. Short, long story short, he handed me a, almost a two and a half million dollar check. Now I got two over two and a half in the bank because right. yeah, you gotta pay taxes, but not that much in Italy at that time. And now I'm 27. I'm, I'm I got cash in the bank, the kind of cash that I don't have to work. And and it, because it's like it would be like to have you know somebody hand you a cash for 25 million right now. Sure. Yeah, you you probably don't retire, but you're not rushing to get up in the morning the next day. You sure. see what I mean? So and so, what I said that pretty much I did. Okay, great. Then I I I said I'm gonna go to America for a vacation. That was 2007. That was June 2007. I bought a first class ticket with American Airlines, Florence to Paris, Paris to LAX, and then I rented one year, $187,000 pod in Malibu on the PCH to do oh, one year vacation because I never because I never took a vacation. Sure. So this was June. This was June. So in June. Broke up with a girlfriend in Italy, told my mom, my dad, I'm gone for a year, vacation. Everybody's happy, everybody's high five, chest bump. My dad <laughs> had his little, my dad has his little, my mom is still, you know, home because she's not feeling too great. My dad uh, ran his little IT shop. He had a computer shop. He was doing uh, um, recycling of uh, ink, cartridge, and, and printer toners and stuff like that. You know, right. keep him busy, doesn't make a lot of money, but it's good. So my dad said, my dad came in July to me and he said, hey, Fabio, I, I need a favor. I have a big opportunity to score a very big client, but I need to show that I have finances in the bank. So what happened is that I, I gave my dad $200,000 to show that he has finance to acquire the IT technology needed to supply this big government office. Right. Whatever. You know, he gets a contract, he gets paid back, whatever. So my dad put $200,000 down to buy about $2.5 million worth of, about $3 million actually, dollar worth of IT technology to supply this client for about three years. Okay. So, for, I'm sorry, for about, uh, um, for, about a, for about a year. Okay. And, and the guy was going to pay back, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, normal business. So I have my ticket to come to the United States for September 20, uh, September 19, 2005. September 1st, my dad come to me and he says, I got bad news for you. I won't be able to give you back the money. And I'm wow. like, okay, I'm 200,000. I'm like, what, what happened Dad? I mean, I didn't care about the 200,000. I had so much, sure. money, so much more in the bank, whatever, you know, it's family, it sucks, but it is what it is. And, and I said, what happened is that, well, I had to file for bankruptcy. And, uh, and the customer that we got, the big government office was right around the election in 2005, switched the government upside down. They decentralized a bunch of administration and my dad lost a $3 million contract after he bought all the shit all he the needed stuff. to supply that contract. Right. So now my dad has a $3 million debt. Oh. He's trying to sell, sell these things for, a, for cents on a dollar. He, he cuts the, the, the liability down to, I think, fucking 2.6. I don't even remember now. Been a while, been 14 years. But so the morale... A week and a half before leaving for the United States, I sat down with my dad and the bank that loaned him the money, and I closed my dad's liability. I cut the bankage check for a little over $2 million. Wow. Now, so I did that. That 200000 that you already lost me, I, le I, I got left with like hundred grand in the bank, about to move to the United States for the vacation 
Right. They could no longer afford Holy in the house in Malibu that I had no money to fucking pay for. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but the house, you know, the house was paid. You know, the house right. was paid. Right? I prepaid it. They gave me a deal, quote unquote, right? Anyway, oh. I fucking prepaid. So I, now I come to Malibu, broke as fuck. No, I didn't speak a word of English, not a word of English. With a hundred right. grand in the bank, I have a hundred grand in the bank, but what am I doing? I got to get back to work. <laughs> so I, I literally, instead of instead of drinking my, my liver off and, and meeting a bunch of Pamela Anderson, because, you know, I used to watch Baywatch and I thought that everybody of looked course. like Pamela Anderson for the years ago. <laughs> I, sat down, I sat down with the phone book and I called every single Italian restaurant in Los Angeles until I found one restaurant that they actually speak Italian in Aguda Hill. Right. And the owner, an Italian guy from Rome, I, I told him, hey, I'm in the United States. I'm planning to be here for a year. I want to do a consulting for Italian restaurants. If your food cost is high, because I was very good at restaurant business. Right. I said, if your food cost is high, I lower, I create a new recipe, I bring special to the table, marketing, social media was just about to start. You know, I was getting into the, the AOL and the Yahoo and, and Facebook wasn't even a thing yet, you know, but, but we had all this search engine and I remember, you know, so anyway, I got a job. Guys show up for a job. Of course, he asked me for green card and social security number. I didn't have it. So I had to, guy, I had a guy in the United States, an American guy. We opened a company together, 50-50. I was, I was built, he was building the restaurant. He was sending the money to Italy and I was paying Italian taxes and American money. Oh, God. So I was able to work. So we were doing right. it through him. It was still legal then. Now you couldn't do it, but then it was fine. And, um, and so anyway, that's how I started it. And then after six months, my English still was zero. I learned Spanish before I, I learned English. Wow. I, I'm fluent in Spanish, and, and after two years, I was fluent in Spanish, and I was still kind of stomping a little bit with English. So morale is six months in, I made this guy a lot of money. I saved this guy a lot of money. He wanted to retire, and pretty much he, he handed us the restaurant, and he was still a part of it. So now we're running this restaurant in Agura Hill. I met my business partners there and we opened our very first own and operated restaurant in California called Cafe Firenze. And right. that was 2009, no, I'm sorry, 2007, eight, 2008, 2008. And then uh, after that, now we own and operate 23 restaurants, 2,500 wow. employees, um, eight different states. We have contracts with, you know, government, military, hospital, casino, hotel, sure. standalone, shopping malls. And, and this year we have another 16 under contract. Damn. That's, so that's unbelievable. How, that's, that's how I started it. Dude, that's yeah. crazy. Literally on top of the world <laughs> at that moment at 27 years old. For 60 days. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Then, you know, that's, that's awesome. And I'm not. And I'm an only child. I wish I had two twin brothers. Fuck it. I'll be having them pay a third of the bill. Yeah, but exactly. That's I'm so an only fun. child. So I took care, so, of, took care of the family, you know? So, I mean, what what was that? I mean, I, what is that flight over here like? <sighs> Sitting there, you've now got... The flight you just, over here was like... The flight over here was me wondering if me asking for more peanuts and more Coca-Cola was going to cost me seven bucks. <laughs> that was the flyover. Because I, ha I had a, I had a, in first, I had a first class $9,300 American no. flatbed 14 years ago. I had a right. telephone on my seat. There was yeah. a telephone on planes 14 years ago. I had a telephone. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it's funny because the steward came over and he was like, do you want to make a phone call? It's $14 
14 dollar a minute uh like 14 dollar a minute international phone call and i'm thinking uh, fuck i'm not like yeah no i don't have that kind of money not that, yeah exactly like, I, can't I, I can't i can't spend a hundred dollars to say what's up from fifteen thousand feet to my dad i just can't do it right so i came to united states with all these dreams of glory and party and fun and vacation and fuck i made it man and then i was like shit now what and you know now it's got better, but it took for another 14 years. I was planning, you know, like, I said, shit, I'm gonna get a year vacation, come back to Italy, I speak English, I'm gonna start to consult for a bunch of restaurants. I already planned it out. I was right. like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just do something. I'm gonna find myself a paying hobby, whatever, right? Who gives a shit? I got, I got more money than I can spend. Yeah. I mean, in Italy, you live with 20,000 a year, comfortably, like, you're doing okay with 20,000 a year. You can have a family, a kid, a dog, and a nice car, a small apartment. Perfect. I got a hundred times that. And it's an, and it's an easier way of living anyway. It's an easier way of Over living. There. there is no rush to the top. There is no competition right. with the neighbor. It doesn't give a shit right now. You know, I, I had to have a gym in my home because our best friend have a gym and he just f f somehow told us that he's saving a bunch of money for a personal trainer. And like, what the f 15 years ago, it's like, who gives a shit? I go spend 20 bucks a month, I go to the gym, I drive myself that an hour, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's a different kind of living, man. Right now, it's like we're crying about shit we don't need and we buy things that sometimes most people can't afford exactly. just to tell other people that don't care about you that you have them. Exactly. You know, it's just like, it's insane. It's so anyway, uh, the flyover was a shit show. I was like me, like very not, not understanding how to figure it out because I didn't speak English. Yeah. I landed in the United States. I did not speak English. Wow. Not a word. So now I got to find a job. I don't speak the language. You got to find, and, you got to find your way out of the airport as well. Yeah. And for, and for my, no, I had a, yeah, I, I had a map or whatever, but. <laughs> the problem is that, you know, everybody in, in America that owns Italian restaurant, they don't speak Italian. No. So literally I made 500 phone calls before somebody understood the phone and said pronto. And I was like, pronto, you speak Italian. And they were like, see, si? and I'm like, grazie a Dio. Thank God. I was like, my God, is there the owner there speaking Italian, somebody, I just, and then they got me this guy, literally made 500 phone calls before finding a person that speaks Italian. Italian restaurant in Los Angeles, but it's hundreds of them. Yeah. So anyway, that's how I started. And now, uh, and, you know, and then for the first two, three restaurants in the United States, I was a chef with a chef coat in the kitchen. And then I understood that being a chef coat with a chef coat in the kitchen only took me so far. Right. So I was starting to have four or five days a chef coat and a couple of days a suit and tie and doing business education for hospitality. So now I wasn't getting screwed by the accounting, by the front of the house manager, by the legal right. guy, by the lawyers, by everybody. You know, in the in this era of all the the me too, you too, us too, people getting offended rightfully or wrongfully left and right, you know, I had HR department, I had insurance come for my, my guys twelve years ago when nobody else had it. Right. You know? I fire people in two thousand and 10, 2012, because they were hanging out in an inappropriate way in the restaurant with the staff. Or right. the manager sure. is screwing a server, and I'm like, sorry, guys, can't have this shit right here. Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> so because we built the structure that allowed us to build culture. And when you build culture, usually you don't get screwed over because yep. you understand who you work with, 
they understand the culture, they understand the scope of work, and they understand the consequences. Disrespect yeah. your coworker, you're out. Doesn't matter how good of a manager you are. Sure. You're screwing a bartender, you better end up guy dating and marrying each other because otherwise you both lost your job because it's not the way you do it. Right. So we're, I think right now we're at a point where we can select who we want to work with. Um, we're, whenever we show up, we're the dogs that bring the fight. And, and uh, you know, we're fortunate, I'm fortunate enough that I, I brought a lot, of, uh, a lot of good people working with me and a, lot of, uh, and a lot of nice stuff that has happened in the last 10 years that allowed me to, to build that culture. And you hear my kids in the back. I know. Well, my dog, my puppy just jumped off the bed because she, I think, heard your kids. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, where are you? You've got twenty five hundred employees now, and and you know, I've I, one of the things that I am a firm believer in, and, and and it was a quote that somebody had said years ago, which is, "People don't don't quit jobs; they quit people." And exactly. Yeah. I mean, what are you? How are you retaining twenty five hundred employees amongst the the mass of restaurants that you have? What, what are you doing that is just holding people there? I mean, so, how are you retaining so them? So, the industry average turnover in the industry it's about twelve months. So, in twelve months, you will literally change over seventy percent of your stuff. Right. Whether it's front of the house, back of the house, and, and and you still have your key people, but most of your staff will be gone in 12 to 18 months. Right. Um, the, the way we retain people is simple. Um, first of all, I haven't hired or fired a person in the last six, seven years. It's all right. HR. Sure. HR understand the culture. HR understand, and you gotta get the right HR. Because if right. you get a nutcase in your HR department, you only get the kind of people that he or she likes. Exactly. You see what I mean? Which not necessarily are the right fit for your business. You know, we own, we own uh, $300 per person steakhouses in Chicago, three-star uh, Chicago Tribune, best steakhouse in the Midwest for the last three years, and I own a sports bar in Tampa. Yeah. So when you hire, the same HR has to hire career server for the steakhouse because a cute smile and a bubbly personality is not going to cut it. And in Tampa, they have to have a cute smile and a bubbly personality. And sure. they have to be willing to have shorts and a tight shirt for guys. Right. Because that's what sports bar crowd likes, you know. And and we still seek for the same people with the same principle. But one has to be comfortable in wearing a suit and tie for server. And another one is the shorts or the skirts and, and a half sleeve v-neck. You know, t-shirt. Yeah. Because every job, every restaurant that we build has is is almost like an eco ecosystem on its own, and not everybody fits everywhere. Exactly. It's just, you know, I'm the kind of guy that if you see me in a restaurant at nine o'clock at night, it's either a fancy one or a fancy steakhouse or a place where there is no people taking shot. You know, tits out, bartender flirting. Because it's not my I own place that have that kind of atmosphere. And everybody still be better be respectful of each other, but it's just not my thing. Right. So when you have when you have the way you retain your people, you just sit down with them and you tell them what they want to do. And yeah. often, more often than not, we are the ones saying, you know, you sound like a great guy, you sound like a great girl. I love to give you an opportunity. I might have a fit for you, but this specific restaurant you're applying is not a good fit for you. Yeah. Because this is the requirement that we have. 
and I wouldn't want to push you over your capability of comprehension and comfort zone to be able to operate in that environment, whether it's a, a career server that now has to serve shot to a bunch of drunk people or a, a young girl that she's beautiful and she just want to smile and she doesn't need a lot of skills to do a certain cocktail stuff, which we're fine with it because the sports bar crowd doesn't really give a shit. Exactly. You know what I mean? But you just seek for good human beings and, and then you tell them, look, what's your goals? And some people say, I got a student loan. What, uh, some people say, I'm a single mom. I got a kid. Some people say, you know, I, I'm helping my brother paying the student loan. Some guy said, I just want to buy a car or I just got married. I want to take care of my wife. So we figured out what their, what, what their economical needs are, and we help them build plans to take care of whatever they want to take care of it. Right. So for us, we say, okay, so you're a single mom, you got a kid, would you like to have insurance? Would you like your kids to have insurance? Would you like to have a certain time of the day where you work, like a Saturday night and a Sunday night off, because those days it's very hard to find a babysitter. Sure. So we work with them and we puzzle them according to their desire and our needs as best as we can. Now, we're not perfect. Of course. People sometimes leave us, people sometimes leave us, but, but the, the turnover in our restaurant is below 15%. So literally 80% of the people that we hire at hiring uh, at the first time that we open the venue, they're still with us after a year, two or three. So it's, 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 it's hard to do it because it, it doesn't make you an, as much profit as any other restaurant that doesn't really quite give a shit about employee and insurance and HR and, and all stuff like that, which are not mandatory yet. But, you know, it creates a better culture. And at the end of the day, yeah, I might make, you know, 20% profit instead of 30 uh, every dollar. But now I got 30 restaurants instead of, you know, three. But I, 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 I find that, that, you know, I have a guy, I have a buddy of mine, his name's Ford Fry. And I don't know if you know Ford, Ford owns a bunch of restaurants down in the South and Texas, Atlanta, Nashville, you know, uh, Tennessee, all, all over the place. And, and, and uh, after talking with him, cause uh, you know, I mean, I'm a firm believer in letting people know what the expectations are right up front. It's very simple. If you're going to come in and you're going to interview with me, these are the expectations for the job that I have. You know, tell me about yourself. Do you think you can fit within these expectations? Now, now, now let's try to work it together so that we can make it happen. Because if once you set the expectations up front, it's the same as you just said that you've got, you know, you, you bring somebody in and they're a career server and you all of a sudden put them in one of your sports bars, they're not going to flourish. It's not where they're going to work right. the best, you know? So when you find that niche with that person, then, then that retention really starts to happen. And, you know, uh, when, when I, when I deal with people now and I'm opening restaurants, you know, all over the place at this point, not of my own, but for clients, that initial training of letting people know what the core values are, what the standards are. And I, I call them nuts, which are non-negotiable, unalterable terms, systems, and standards. Like when you answer the phone, you smile. It's just that simple. You know, when you come to work, you're prepared. You need this, this, and this. By setting people up for success, I think yeah. that it, it yep. leads into that next world. And it's and I loved what you had to say, like, let me find out about you now. Tell me, what are, what are you looking to do? Because in this day and age, we're not just hiring people to fill a spot. Like, you're building a culture. Right. And the only you way to get to. your and success is to have that culture followed repetitiously. You have to. And, you know, the, the things I, I wanted the most in my whole life 
the things I always wanted and it was always hard for me to get it because of the lifestyle I had. Late night, you know, early morning, never a weekend off, always traveling. Also have a family. You know, sure. I leave to come home and see my wife and my kid. Yeah. You know, that, that's my biggest prized possession. That's why I get up in the morning. That's why I push so hard. That's why now that I have a kid that drives lower, that's, that everything I do, even taking a shower, two shower a day instead of one, and sometimes not take a shower when you're too fucking tired when you get out of the restaurant, is because of them. So for yeah. me, I have to build a kind of culture in the restaurant that is not going to undermine that in the long run. If you have a restaurant where everybody's screwing each other, everybody disrespect each other, everybody does blow, take shots, and by the end of the night, somebody's going to take you home because you're the owner, it doesn't work in the long run. Yeah, yeah it might exactly. be fun for you or two if that's your kind of fun, but it ain't my kind of fun, and it's not the kind of environment that I want my child and my wife to come when they want to hang out with me. Exactly. You know what I mean? So for us, for me, you gotta you got to see past the the short term, which is the problem with restaurant business and hospitality, everything is very short term. Oh, that restaurant give me 50 cents more. I'm going to go there. I make yep. more money on a Saturday night at that sports bar instead of this restaurant. Oh, it doesn't work for me. Like that never worked. And it's a lot harder to build, but it lasts a lot longer. It lasts forever yeah. unless you want to sell it. So now, how does it work for you as somebody who is so driven, somebody who is so passionate and somebody who has a work ethic in the way that you do? How is it that you deal with a lot of the employees that we have coming in now? You know, I mean, we've got an entirely different dynamic of restaurant employees and hospitality workers today than yeah. we did 15 years ago. We invest in training. So if you apply as a server position in my restaurants, you're not even allowed to touch a table unless you spend there three days. I'm sorry, sorry, unless you spend there three weeks shadowing our best server, right. learning everything, every single thing. That, so we budget about $150,000 worth of training for six weeks before we open a restaurant. You know, the things that we hear the most in our openings is, I can't believe how smooth this service and everything is. It looks like you guys have been here for five months. And I'm like, yes because we kind of have been, not five months, but, but not, maybe not five months, but month and a half, six weeks. So right. everybody, you know, by the time that we open the door, the server have eaten the food 10 times, yes. have drink the wine, taste the cocktail, right. serve each other, mock service. We do that for six weeks, five days a week, bro. You yeah. know how much money it takes to do that? But we raise the money when we raise the capital because that's how we'll keep us in business. Right. So it's, I mean, it's, and most people go like, oh, yeah, no, just just go to the table, see what they want. It's not service. That's an order taker. You, right. I mean, service, service is caring. Service is knowledge. Service is passion. Service is understanding of the culture. That's service. If you have an order taker, whatever, you know. Uh I see it all the time where, you know, especially in, in the business that I'm in now with consulting and with opening restaurants and even with my own properties that, you know, the initial stages of opening the restaurant are where the most money is spent. You, you, you bring your staff in, you know, you're bringing the, the vintner in, you're bringing the, you know, the bottler, the distiller, you're bringing in people to train on every aspect yeah. of what it is that we're serving. You are literally eating the food 10 times, 15 times before you even open the restaurant. Yeah. And then you look, you know, and then I, I kind of break it down to three months later, you know, we have we have a little bit of staff. We need to fill up space here or there. So we bring somebody right. in and they, they shadow for three or and four days and then they take a test. And, and, that's how, and that's how the culture gets diluted. And then it continues because, to, you know, 
a year later, you're saying, yeah. hey, have you ever waited a table before? All right, I'll see you on Tuesday. You know, I mean, it gets diluted so fast. And then the next thing you know, the, the staff overtakes the restaurant. The staff dictates what's going on. And, and I see it a lot. I don't deal with troubled restaurants anymore. I walked far away from that world, you know, but... But 100%. I now do more openings than I do anything else. And it is the it is the most important part of it is that training, getting that understanding of what the culture is. This is who yeah. I am as, a, as, as Fabio Viviani. And this is what I want you guys to know. And this is what I expect you to know. You know, I, I use the analogy of 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 being, you know, a, a car, a car dealer or a car salesman. Yeah. If I don't if I train you how to sell the Benz and I train her how to sell the Honda, she's only going to be able to sell the Honda. She might try to sell the Benz, but when it gets down to that final part of it, she doesn't know all the details about it. So she's going to end up selling the Honda because that's where her comfort level is. But if we educate across the board and prepared for shift, you know, if I'm yeah. a surgeon and I walk in and I've got brain surgery today and I walk in ready to do an appendectomy, I got a problem, you know, and, and although they're different worlds that we live in, we have to get our staff prepared to be able to do the brain surgery so that everybody's ready to rock and roll. So it, it, it's refreshing to hear that, you know, I mean, and after the successes that you've had for all of this time, I mean, I remember the first time I saw you, I, I, I remember the first time that I saw you and I was just like, and I'm just going to say it, Fabio. I was like, this motherfucker is vibrant. This dude <laughs> is on fire. The way that you connect with people is unlike anything that I've ever seen before. <clears throat> Be a male or a female. You connect with people on such a personal level, whether it be doing an appearance, whether it be teaching a class, you've got a gift, man. It's very, very awesome to watch. So, Cheers and kudos to you for that, my friend, because um, it's great to that. watch. And, and I think that that attributes to a tremendous amount of your success, not just with with the work ethic and not just with the proven track record of what you've done, but to watch you with people. Even when I saw you this October, when I saw you in, in PA, when I saw you at the Taste Festival, you engage with people. You know, Thank you're you. not just taking a picture and walking away. You're actually touching, you're engaging, you're having a conversation and it's great to watch. So I'm not here to blow you up that way, but I just I want you to know, it, man, it's a good thing to see. So I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, you so much for that. I mean, especially in this day of, you know, there's, uh, you know, the term celebrity chef is, is literally yeah, thrown out you know, everywhere you go. <sighs> Yeah, and, and if that, that's what I was trying to start away, right? Because the reality is that it's not about when, it's not about if, it's about when TV will go away for everybody. Sure. You know, everybody has an end date. Whether it's Guy Fieri, Fabio Viviani, uh, Bobby Flay, Richard Blaze, uh, Carla Hall, everybody, yeah. whether it's up to you or up to the network or up to <laughs> the demand or the economy, TV will go away. Yeah. So what have you done with the little shitty or good exposure that you got, it's what matters because most of the celebrity chef out there, they can't fucking cook a meal to save their lives or run they can a make business. a recipe or run a business. They can make a recipe on TV because they have a cute personality and there is a bunch of producer tell them what to do, how to cook and what to step and what to stir. 
Right. You know, exactly. a lot of celebrity chefs I know, which I deeply respect for the choice they made, they'll never be a restaurant business. They'll never be a restaurateur. They'll never even come close to have the kind of security and growth opportunity that some of us that chose restaurant business first have because they're playing a short-term game with a not long-term capability of earnings. Right. They better make every money they can, squeeze every apple they get, because once the tree is dry, it ain't fucking coming back. Right. Now, I mean, for you, so, what what was your deciding factor to to go on to TV? I mean, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't even want to go on TV. I, I turned down Top Chef five times. I turned out season one, season two, season three, season four. And then I decided to do season five. First of all, the first three seasons, I turned them down because I didn't speak English. Right. So the producer, okay. I met a producer at one of my restaurants. I gave him some favors, did some nice stuff for his wedding, whatever. Said, you, I have a show. It's going to do great for you. And I'm like, bro, I just opened my own restaurant in the United States. You have no idea what the fuck is going on here. I just need to work and not think. Right. Clearly, last time I thought about doing something for somebody, it was my dad, and look what inputs me, right? So I was like, I just need to work right now. So thank you, but I, I, got, I had no desire to go on TV. I didn't know. I, I, you know, on television in, in Italy, you're, you're, a, you're an actor you're going to be. Right. You made the news you're going to be, right? TV, what the fuck is TV for? I'm a chef. I need a restaurant, kitchen. I'm not cooking on TV. You're cooking in the kitchen. Right. So, and I didn't watch TV. I never did. I'm not a guy that watches TV. Simple as that. So anyway... You know, force forward like three years. Now I got my own restaurant. Everybody's like, you know, and my customers like, you should go on Top Chef, Top Chef, Top <laughs> Chef. In Italy, I hear this fucking Top Chef name 10 times a day. And I'm like, God, man, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Why is this? The producer, same guy that told you, it's a great show. You should be on it. You got a great personality. Yeah, just can be on it. At that point, I had a little upside down with my wife. Recently married, didn't quite work out. 2009. So I said, all right, let me go. I'll, I'll do it. Fine. So I set up the restaurant for me to be gone for a month and a half. Restaurant was fine. I came back and now literally everybody in Moore Park, California is standing out the door waiting for me to get back in the restaurant. It's amazing. And the exposure was great, but also because I did look good. Because sure. go ask Marcel, Stefan, and a few other guys if they like what they got out of Top Chef. They don't. You know, right. Marcel has struggled for, you know, Marcel is a great, he's actually a good dude. He's yeah. a good human being. He's a good dude, but his people skills suck. He didn't manage that. Not now, then. Now it's, I think he got much better. He's very successful now. He has a couple of restaurants in LA. So he got his way out of it. But, you know, Stefan is in, is in Finland right now. He opened three restaurants. Everybody's the villain, is your douchebag. And they go there to just make fun of him. Right. 18 months, shut three restaurants down and he, and he flee the country. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, TV is good exposure, but TV is not the plan. TV is not the game. TV is not the end game and TV is not the vessel. TV is sure. an opportunity to showcase what you got if you got something to showcase. Because if you think you're going to fake it, people will call you out on your bullshit. Quick. Especially in this day, and age. they do it fast, man. Quick. I mean, I you know, I've seen people, yeah. I've had people sit in my restaurants and 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 literally talk shit while on Twitter, while a server is yeah. standing at the table. You know, yeah. I mean, and it's yeah. it's you just know, it's immediate. We have um, we have a proprietary system uh, in our restaurant um, where for each venue every night from five a.m. five p.m. to midnight or whatever is the last table in. We actively monitor all the top website, 
top social media. And we have often coming in to a table that just posted something like cute ambient, but the salad is underwhelming. Manager goes at the table and says, very sorry. Um, I just got a word from a little bird that um, <laughs> you guys are not happy. You guys are not happy with our salad. Let me make it right to you. I would hate for you to get out of here and not satisfied. Sure. And you know how many bad review we save and how many shit, you know, we make mistakes. We're not perfect. We're far away from it. Shit, I wish exactly. I was perfect. Actually, now nah, I want, because I like, I like my flaws because I like to fix them. I'm a fixer. So right. the problem is that, you know, in this time and age, you, you, you know, when we started this business, you shit on somebody's salad, you get a, you get a family upset. Now right. you, you shit on somebody's salad, you get a town upset. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, cause, exactly. cause everybody knows about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's the truth. It's crazy. But, and it's yeah, instantaneous. It it's, it's an yep. instantaneous. And, you know, a lot of times it becomes, you know, it gets overwhelming. I mean, how is it that you do? So how is it in reality that you guys are monitoring that? Is you, do you literally have somebody just sitting in front of a computer screen? Yeah. I, I mean, how for are you guys venue, doing that? For every venue, well, we have a customary platform. Okay. It's a platform that we built for ourselves that monitors all our accounts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Google+, Yelp, and right. we have TripAdvisor. We have a few more. Uh, um, we have like, uh, so anyway, we have a few more. And it's somebody on their phone. So somebody on their phone, anytime that somebody posts a story, a post, a comment, and we have tag, we have uh, whether it's, you know, Osteria Tampa, Osteria Kitchen, uh, our names, our street address, somebody check in. So right. at any given time during shift, we are aware if someone posts something good, bad, or different. You know, the, the comment that we get the most when we try to do recovery table for bad Yelp or TripAdvisor review is how prompt you guys are in responding. Yeah, Literally, huge. within in an hour, within in one hour from you, unless it's from midnight to seven in the morning, you're posting, then you get the next morning. But within in one hour from posting a bad review, we already have a, a recovery procedure in place where a manager called somebody. I usually send an email out, say, hey, I'm very sorry. I, I say, regardless what happened, I'm very sorry that we couldn't make you happy. My manager will reach out to you and make this right. I'm right. not starting to argue, say, well, you know, you cannot have a lamb shank, a braised lamb shank medium rare, because it's fucking braised, right? <laughs> right? I'm not gonna argue, I'm not gonna say it. I don't even wanna know what happened. I just say, you know what? I apologize that we couldn't make you happy. Sure. Let us make it right. In the next 24 hour, a manager will reach out to you and will make this right. And then the manager deals with it. Whether it's a lady that was too drunk and we cut her off or somebody that legitimately has a complaint, they're gonna be back and they're gonna be happy. If right. they don't be back and they're not be happy, it's because they just wanna be miserable. Because we sure. put every single effort forward to make them come back and be happy. Sometimes it doesn't happen. And that's why we use once in a while you get the one, two and three star review. But most of them, you know, whenever you see a bad review, you go back and you say, change it from one star to five star. Oh, my God. Uh, how amazing they made it up to me. Blah, blah, blah. And right. that's what we do, man. Right. Exactly. And it's that. Yeah, it's it's big. I mean, a lot of times people do just want to bitch and complain and they really just want to be recognized for what it is that, that their issue is at that moment. Um, it's you called know, and cycling, man. Every, everybody's going to go through the cycle. You know, you get to a point yeah. where you, you think you're good enough and you buy your own bullshit. And you start not to take care of the little thing. And right. that's when you hit hard. And that's when you go down. 
Yes. You know, I sent an email. I sent an email to everyone, two thousand and some people, one hundred and forty-six manager on January first, and I, I explained them the concept of cycling, which is exactly the moment that you start to go down is when you start to believe your own bullshit. You're the best. Uh, we were the best in town. We do this the best. Shut right. the fuck up. Yeah. You got to constantly strive. It got to constantly build and move forward no matter what it is. And I do, I watch complacency. You know, I've seen it happen with people and and I see it happen all the time. You know, I see it, I see it within restaurants on a daily basis. You know, I go to a restaurant around me that's been here for 25 years and I walk in the other day, they're complacent. You know, you got a server out of uniform, you got a bartender behind the bar who's got a cocktail in front of him now. You know, they're not paying yep. attention to the phone. They're, they're on their phone. They're not paying attention to the guest. And, you know, I mean, it's yep. that's it is. It's exactly what it is. You become you become complacent yep. in all of that. So you you. Yeah. You forget about the, the little things that got you there. It's like, you know, it's like it's like jumping off a restaurant business, like jumping off of a plane with a parachute. There is 50 <laughs> things you have to do. Because yes. if you don't do them, you still might land and you still might get away with it. But there's right. a lot less, ch- lot, like a lot better chance that you're gonna crash and burn. You know, I have, I have, an, I have, a, I have a little thing that I talk about all the time, and and it's simple. It's that we had. And, and I think about it, you know, pre-shift and post-shift. We had yeah. an opportunity to exceed the guest of our expectation. And by saying that, I, I lay it out very simply that the H in had stands for Hooters. If you work at Hooters, you know what your uniform is. It's very simple. You wear the T-shirt, you wear the orange shorts, you wear the white sneakers, you wear the nude stockings. You know what you have to do. That's your job. You know what you have to do. Before you go into a shift, I think about American Air. A is simple. We have you have three things that you have to do before the plane takes off. Your seatbelt has to be right. on. Your seat has to be in the upright position, and your tray table's got to be up. They won't fucking move yeah. the plane if your tray table's not Until. up. It's that simple. And then Disney. Yeah. Disney is really simple. You smile while you work. So we had an opportunity to exceed our guest expectation. Did we do that? Did we do the three things that we know we have to do? Okay. Did we take care of all of our information yeah. pre-shift and get ready for the next shift? Did we smile and engage with the guests during that time frame? And were you in uniform to follow our standard of what it is that we do? Yeah. And I find that yeah. when people hear that, they all kind of laugh. And but it's it's you know we've given you all the tools right. that you need to succeed. Now follow through with it. It's that simple. So and you know and we bang on the head on the pre-shift, the post-shift. We do all yeah. there. I mean. Uh, we, with 23 rest, it's getting harder now for me to read them all, but I have people that follow up with it. But the okay. reality is that, you know, I have, I get 20, now with 23 restaurants open, 16 more coming, I will be getting 40 lunch shift notes post-lunch and 40 post-dinner notes. Yeah. You know, I don't compile the pre-shift anymore because it's got out of hand for me. Sure. But the reality is that the manager do and they get the post-shift note. And usually when something happened on a post-shift, I go back to the pre-shift and something was missing. Right. Exactly. It's, 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 a, it's the same story, man. Yeah. It's the same story. It's amazing. And I'll tell you what, I think that there's so much to be said about about a post-shift note. Because it, it, yeah. it causes you to reflect back on that shift. And then when somebody in an owner position such as yourself or somebody in a, in a director of operations position does look at that post shift note and then says, OK, well, let's figure out why this happened. OK, well, here's where you it know, is. You know and it, and it, it always falls back on that on that pre shift. We miss something. You know, what I do, something. you know what I do in my restaurants? I 
surprise people for calling out people with the right cause. So I tell them all the time, I say, guys, we're going to demand a lot from you. We're going to give you a lot. We're going to demand a lot too. And we're going to call you out all the time. Yeah. For us, there is no benefit in calling you out other than make you better so you can perform better and we can get there together easier. But what I would like to do is that if you ever point out something I'm doing wrong while I'm at the restaurant and it's a legitimate comment done in a constructive way about something that I would ding you for it, that I'm doing, you get a prize. You get a better shift. You get a gift card. You choose. You get a free meal on me. I don't care. You want a bottle of wine? Say, come take it. Yeah. Please point out anything you see anytime I'm in the restaurant that I'm doing wrong. And, and with that, they are more aware of what they're doing yeah. because they say, you know, I'm, I'm going to look what it does. So by trying to bust me, they teach themselves. Sure. And it works. Well, and it's it also works. that it, it's, it's do, you know, it's, it's that lead by example. It's that straightforward. I can sit here and tell you that, yeah. you know, I, I don't want you on your cell phone during your shift. But if I'm sitting right. in the expo window on my cell phone as a manager, there's something to be said about that. You know, there's something. Know. Where's true. your focus? Where are you doing? So, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I talk about it all the time with closing shift. You know, the first time that I let something slide, it's a mistake. The second time I let something slide, it's now a choice. It's no longer important to me. So why is it going to be important to a to a, to an employee, you know, why do I have to work harder if that's really not what something you want me to focus on? So, so what's going on? So you're opening up 16 more in the next year, in the next two years. Yeah, no, next this year. So 2019, oh we have 16 right now under contract, which wow. means that we are building them. We right. are about to build, or we will start to build once permits come in. So do I believe that all 16 will completely fully open this year? No, there's going to be probably delays on the one that are now scheduled to open in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter of the year. Right. But that's normal. That's why you, you put 16 under contract. So at least you open once a month and so, you have 12 opening and then you delay. And then next year, January, February, which is impossible to get permit and construction done because <laughs> it's right after the holidays. Exactly. At least you have the leaked over from the year prior and you're right. not wasting two, three months of beginning of the year. Right. Now, are they all the same? I mean, are they multiple different concepts? No, are they all, new concepts? They're all, they're all different. From okay. a fried chicken sandwich chain to American classic, high-end steakhouse, seafood restaurant, Spanish restaurant, Mexican, um, high-end Italian restaurant in New York City, to a, a food and beverage, complete takeover for a food and beverage hotel in D.C., to building two hotels in Detroit, um, wow. a f two food hall. I mean, we got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of different sure. things. We, we, I made the switch from being a chef to be a hospitality developer. Right. So uh, from being an Italian chef, there's just so much you can do. How many, how many Italian restaurants can you open, really? Right. Unless you want to do a chain and open all the same and blah, 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 which is boring to which me. Is boring. Then, you know, you, you reinvent yourself. You know, I have some of the best Asian food you've ever had. You don't even know I own the places, but I own them because... Uh, that makes me passion. Then I hire sure. a very nice man from Okinawa that makes the best, you know, Toro, Otoro, and Uni that you ever had in your life. And, <laughs> and I own the place. Right. It makes me happy. And so you now, know, yeah, maybe I have a mean recipe for a foe, but that's not what I'm bragging about it. Right. Now, I mean, but as a chef, are you, 
I, I mean, even though you're in hospitality and even though you're a restaurateur now, and even though you have kind of made that leap into the entrepreneurial, not even made a leap, you, you're, you're deep in it. It's not even a leap anymore. I mean, you're, you're living that part of it. Are you still finding that as a chef, you're still kind of having a little bit more play in that food part of it? Or are you just oh, trusting oh, every man. part of it? Now? No, no, no. No, I don't trust anybody. <laughs> I don't trust that my kids is going to tell me he's about to poop. Right. I don't trust anything, man. <laughs> if, you, if you don't trust anybody, with, 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 with the understanding that there is certain people you trust, but I would like to replace the word trust with expectation, right? I have zero expectation from anybody. Nobody owes me anything. I'm not expecting you to do what you're supposed to do. I appreciate when you do it, but I'm conscious that you will have shortcoming and you will not follow through sometime. So with that understanding, I prepare myself for the worst and most of the time never happen. So when I hire somebody from Okinawa running an Asian restaurant and I'm about to open in Tampa from a kitchen standpoint, I know that this person come with a lot of upside but some limitation. Yeah. So I'm there, I'm present, I'm going to let him do his things, but I'm being in this business enough that I know what's going to happen and what is going to be the problem that are coming up with whatever way he managed, lead, and cook. Right. So as a chef, I'm there to supply that shortcoming. You see what I mean? Yeah, no, if absolutely. You a, if, you, if you get me a Chotoro uh, A5 tuna, that one slice of sashimi will cost me $6.00 literally less than half ounce official cost me $6 and I had to sell it for 19. It's not going to work for the Tampa market. So let's get Otoro, which one slice will cost me $2 and we sell it for nine. Right. So most people don't see it that way. Chefs don't see it that way. Chefs see their way. And if you're wrong, Oh, it's my food. I'll do whatever fuck I want. You ever heard that? It doesn't work so from a chef, pers- from a chef perspective and from the guy that usually pays the bill. You know, I'm there to supply the need because I trust you, but I also know that you're going to fuck it up. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm there. I have no expectation. I have a lot of appreciation for you trying. And then we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, so what else is going on? I mean, uh, other than opening 16 restaurants in the next year plus, I mean, you're, where are you living these days? I live in Barrington Hills, Illinois. Oh, okay. Uh, you- it's the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, love Chicago, dude. I actually have, uh, I've got some some properties on the western side of there. So I'm out in, in Rockford and all in the, the the little suburbs out there that I love, love. Yeah, I'm, lit- yeah. I'm literally five miles from Rockford. Oh five my God. All right, well, I'll be in Rockford in April. So maybe if you're around, we'll grab yeah, a drink. I'm, I'm, between, yeah, I'm between Rockford and Chicago. Okay. Oh, well, I'll, I'll hit you up when I come back out and we'll have a cocktail. We'll go, we'll go, we'll go deep into the bellows of Rockford. There's a bunch of great suburbs out there with just great bars and good, good, good people. So, um, yeah, man. Well, Hey dude, I, I know how busy you are. I know you got a lot of stuff to do on a, on a crazy Tuesday morning. Um, I want to thank you for hopping on with me, man. I really do appreciate your time and your knowledge and, and your passion and your story. So, um, let me know know when this come out, we'll give you some love. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. Um, so Fabio, do me a favor one last time, let everybody know how we can get in contact with you and, uh, um, and we'll get everything going from there, dude. The easiest way to get in contact with me, go to my website, fabioviviani.com, go to contact 
And then there is emails and phone numbers that you can call, talk to me, email me, and that's the easiest. If you want to know day-to-day what I'm doing, what I'm about to, check my Instagram account, Fabio Viviani. Same. You'll see my daily shenanigans. And if you reach out to me via DM, I do answer them all. Um, Takes a minute because there is a lot of you out there, but I get there. (laughs) I, I will. That's beautiful. Fabio, thanks so much for hanging out with me, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll reach out to you in the next couple of months, brother. Thanks, brother. Bye-bye-bye. Be safe. Bye-bye. So there is a uh, there's a story right there, man. You know, I mean, this is a, a guy who who, uh, you know, he had it all 14 years old. He started that move, you know, that momentum moving forward. Uh, and it all starts with work ethic. And it's one of the things that I talk about all the time. It's not just going to fall in your lap. You know, I mean, this was a guy who 14 years old moved forward, you know, worked his ass, worked his ass off through high school, you know, working at working at night, you know, 12 to seven next morning, going to school, going home and sleeping in the afternoons. After that, the momentum starts again. He goes into culinary school, you know, four year program, moves through it, works through it given an opportunity. These things don't just fall in front of you anymore. It's just, it's just not the way that it works. And, and uh, I am a firm believer in, in, in grabbing what you want, but you have to do the work before you can reach out and it's fully set in front of you. You know, I talk to my girls all the time about the simple fact that you are a wonderful, intelligent, beautiful, uh, personable human being. But somebody is not sitting around waiting for you to call them to get the opportunity. They're not just going to sit there and wait for you. You've got to make that introduction. You've got to reach out to them. You've got to have the conversation. They're not sitting around saying, I want to give, you know, Brian Duffy an opportunity. I hope that he calls me sometime. You've got to make that connection. You've got to go after what it is that you want. And and Fabio is is a prime example of that. I mean, we're talking about... Like I said, a guy who at the age of 27 years old was told that he uh, that his restaurants were sold by somebody else. You know, somebody went and made a decision underneath of him or above him. And that is my dog who is barking at the air. Honey, honey, come here. You know. This guy was then, you know, he was pissed. He didn't know where he was going to do, what what was going to happen come Monday. This was a Friday afternoon. And then, boom, he's handed a check in front of him for $2.7 million, you know, went and made some decisions. And uh, then the next thing you know, a situation arises. So this guy flies to California with $100,000 in the bank because that's all he has left from his 2.7. And he makes 500 phone calls. I think that the most important part of that is the fact that he made 500 phone calls. You know, he reached out to people. He was trying to find somebody who spoke Italian. And that was the world that he wanted to live in at that point. And that is just a great thing. So, you know, you take your dream, you take your vision, and and sometimes there's curveballs that are thrown at you. And that was a prime example of all that. And I I respect that. I like that a lot. So so with that being said, uh, Fabio, or Fabio, Fabio, thank you so much for hopping on with us. I really appreciate it. Everybody do me a favor and go over and thank him for such a great episode. You can do that at FabioViviani.com or Fabio Viviani on Instagram, Twitter, and all the other social media stuff. Um, That's what I got for you guys this week. Y'all know where I'm going to go with this. I want you to do us a review. Write it up. Get on to iTunes. Tell people what you think of us. So far, we've got a 4.5 rating. I'm happy with that. 
but I want more. I want more reviews. Tell us what you think of the show. Tell us what you think of the format, how we're doing things. Who do you want to see on the show with us? That is important to me. You understand? Go out there and thank everybody. Thank the boys down there at RadioInfluence.com. You got a podcast? These guys are ready for you. They've got two recording studios, St. Pete's and Tampa. Get down there and record with them. You have some information you want to share with people? You lead a really cool life? You know more about knitting than anybody else in this world? Start a podcast. Go do it. It's going to be fun. Jerry and Jason at RadioInfluence.com, they're going to take care of you. Trust me. They pulled me out of the doldrums of podcast hell. It was horrific trying to deal with these jackasses out there. Everybody wants to get involved. Everybody wants to hop on a coattail. Jerry and Jason, they knew what they were talking about. And they're the reason why I'm doing this and why we're hitting 90 episodes right now. Okay? Because of those guys. Maggie Gagliardi, the wonderful human being who takes care of all of our promo pieces. I love you, Maggie. And it was awesome seeing you at Mohegan Sun a couple weeks ago. Then Michelle, Techno Solution. She a rock star, does all the website. I love her so much. I do, I do, I do. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Do me a favor. Go out and just be nice to people. Bye-bye. Didn't get duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I'm going to move on and talk about this Jesse Smullett attack, if you will. And I'm going to break down why I feel there was nothing going on, just like a whole lot of other people feel that way, too. But they're scared to talk about it in the mainstream media. There is video of him without the rope. And then in less than 60 seconds, you can see him walking into the building with the rope around his neck. So we would have to assume that in less than a minute, two guys wearing masks, by the way, two guys wearing masks approach him, punch him, assault him for several seconds, have time to get out the bottle of bleach or whatever it is, pour it on them. Like, first of all, keep in mind, think about this. I just said it was 17 below zero. Whatever would have been in that bottle would have been frozen already. It would have been frozen, just like when you see people throwing water in the air when it's that cold and it turns to ice immediately. So, yeah, in less than a minute, two guys come up, punch him repeatedly in the face, pour this bleach on him, tie a rope around his neck, and get away. Because, again, there's surveillance footage of him without the rope, and then less than a minute later... There's footage of him walking into his apartment with the rope around his neck. Now, he says he fought back. So either you're Bruce Lee and Mike Tyson combined and you can fight off two attackers in 30 seconds or less. Get back to your door with the rope still around your neck and they get away. Man, that that's pretty good. Like, I got good fighting skills, but I don't think I can fight off two people that quick. They get away, and then I walk in the apartment with the rope. Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.